Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Man, somebody must be watching off the bench, Raja, because oh. yesterday we were talking about dunks. We were talking about your best dunks. Clearly, oh. they're watching our show because they were inspired from the conversation that we had about your dunks. Like, clearly, that's what's going on. Some of those were filthy. That Donovan what, what? Mitchell over Luka Doncic. Oh, my goodness. Is that your favorite? I don't know. What was the one where he was styling like this when he went up and did the hand by? That was, yeah, that was, that Aaron, was some filthy. Aaron Gordon looked like he was like jumping off a mini tramp in that one, uh, the kid from the Magic. But that Donovan Mitchell, that was disgusting. Yeah, anytime you go over somebody. And like that's like your rookie uh, for Luka. Like, that's his, like, uh-oh, maybe I should be a little more careful when I go up to defend some guy coming through the lane. Maybe want to yeah. let him take a little piece of that. So, yeah, but uh, incredible night for the NBA. Bunch of dunks. So, I actually, I was traveling up to New York City, and the, uh, the flight I was on had the TV monitors. Yeah. So, I got to watch some of the Lakers-Timberwolves game. Then, by the time I got to my ho- hotel, the game was still close, and it was late. And the Lakers were up by one. It was 112 or 111 to 110, I think was the score. And they had a couple possessions, and they kept getting really lucky because they were getting off offensive rebounds. And all I kept seeing was LeBron going to his favorite spot. He'd dribble around, move over to the left, <laughs> and hit the step back three. And he missed two of them back to back. And I'm like, oh, he, they're, they're going to blow this game. They're going to, they had awful possessions, but they kept getting them back. And then finally they end up winning the game. But my point was, I just didn't love the end of the game for LeBron, some of those possessions. But it doesn't matter because they got the win. And, you know, they got what they wanted out of Tyson Chandler. 23 minutes, nine rebounds, most importantly. That was the presence they wanted in the middle of the court. And right. they got it from him. So it's like it's one step better for the Lakers. Get this win against a pretty good T-Wolves uh, team. Oh, a few things. Like, end of games with LeBron, can be uh, they can be frustrating for some people at times. But he has become a pretty good three-point shooter. And so you kind of, you know... It, it, you gotta live with a few of those. I would like to see him put his head down and get to the rim some, but I think some of that speaks to them really not having a good flow and knowing exactly how they want to close games right now because they're still trying to figure each other out. Um, what they got last night was they got, they had threes made. They're, they're averaging about 10 threes a game. Last night they hit 15, which, which is going to naturally open up uh, the driving lanes for LeBron because defenders are going to have to stay closer to their man because they're hot. Uh, and you'll be able to see him get to the bucket like you saw in that one where he turned the corner and got down the lane on the dunk. Uh, and then Tyson Chandler was big. I mean, not a lot of points, but he's never scored a lot of points. Nine big rebounds. Uh, I think five of them uh, were offensive rebounds, which is huge, giving your team extra you know, shots at the basket when LeBron may miss one of those uh, step-back fadeaway threes. Uh, and then he anchored the defense like we thought he would. Like he came in. Now, I know the stats say that opponents shot four for 13 when Tyson Chandler was the primary defender. Like, that is great, but that doesn't even paint the picture of what he is able to do from behind the defense when he's in there kind of dictating and, and, and ushering people to their spots defensively. It's going to mean a lot to the Lakers, especially with all of that youth uh, uh, around LeBron James. You know what rule I really liked as I was watching the end of that game? The fact that if you get an offensive rebound, you're up at the end of the game, it doesn't reset the shot clock to 24 points. It goes to yeah. 14 which yep. is great because it like encourages more possessions, encourages the other team to get a chance to come back. So that was just a little side note. I was watching that. Like that's a, a little rule that I wasn't even aware of. And I'm watching like, hey, this is really cool because they can't just waste those extra 10 seconds. They got to go get a shot off. And so it gives the other team a chance. And D Rose had a pretty good look at that end, the last shot that we just saw him miss, but unfortunately couldn't do it. But when I watch the Timberwolves, I see them and I just think it's a team that's, they don't have an identity 
I think this Jimmy Butler saga is hanging over their head like a cloud, and I think it prevents guys like Carl Anthony Towns or Wiggins from stepping up into a leadership role because when Jimmy's on the court, he's the clear alpha dog. Like, he's the guy that's going to take control. And when he's not there, when he takes his nights off, then they try to do it. But when he's there, it just seems like there's just something off about this Timberwolves team, and I have a real hard time backing them as long as this situation is not resolved. Well, you should have a hard time backing them because they're not very good right now. I mean, they, <laughs> look, they're just not. They're 16th, you know, in offensive rating this year. But what's really concerning about a Tom Thibodeau team is they're 29th in the league in terms of defensive rating. And that's usually where his teams hang their hat. Here's the problem with like the Carl Anthony Towns, um, uh, Jimmy Butler slash Andrew Wiggins situation. Like you've invested in Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Like they're your, they're your future. And prior to this like falling out with Jimmy Butler, you were a little reluctant to fully invest in him. Yes, he's a little bit longer in the tooth than those guys, but I'd make the argument that Jimmy Butler, like, so Jimmy Butler's kind of tarnished who he was as a player and as, as a person, in my opinion, with this saga. But before that, he, and probably even still now, he's a winner. Like you can't, dispute that and I'm not so sure that the other two are winners and so while yes like Carl Anthony Town is clearly a different player with Jimmy Butler on the floor like the numbers bear that out this year he's not nearly the same version of himself um the best version of Carl Anthony Towns doesn't win anything. It never has. So, like, what do you, what, what you want to sit Jimmy Butler who may give you a chance to win because you want to get Carl Anthony Towns more touches so he can score 30 inefficient points that don't lead to a W? Like, I don't, I don't have the answer, but that's what you're dealing with, right? Like, um, yeah. uh, Tom Thibodeau values Jimmy Butler as a piece that can win games. And in the NBA, that's what it's all about. Can you win games? And Tom Thibodeau knows that Jimmy Butler, um, when he's on the reservation and he's playing, he will help you win games. You can't say the same for Carl Anthony Towns or Andrew Wiggins for that matter. And so, you know, Tom Thibodeau is being a little selfish. Like he, he wants Jimmy Butler. He would like to win. The problem is it's a mess now and clearly they don't like each other and there's a little bit of a chemistry issue. But, you know, Minnesota's in a tough spot because, you know, you, you, you don't, you, you, the NBA's look, when all of your peers say that you ain't cut from that kind of cloth, and I'm referring to like Andrew Wiggins and Carl Anthony Towns, like they're not all making that up. Everybody sees something in you, and that's what you're going to be left with when you deal Jimmy Butler. Um, and, and you'll you'll be searching, I promise you, for someone else to come in there like Jimmy Butler, who can be the piece that actually knows how to win to put with those guys. I feel like the the T Wolves front office, and I'm sure Tibbs a little bit frustrated by this, but I feel like they've invested clearly in these guys financially that they feel like Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins can grow into these type of players, but I would contend that that's who they are. Like, you can't force somebody to have that killer instinct or to be this nasty competitor who only wants to win games. Like, Carl Anthony Towns is pretty reserved. I don't want to say soft, because I don't think he's soft, but I just don't think he has that killer instinct that wants to go out there and win at all costs. I think some, he's it's sort of a generational thing, too, because I don't know how many young players nowadays that you see out there have that killer instinct. There are some but I don't see it from these guys. Do you think they can develop into that or they can mature into that? Or is this more of who they are as people and as players? I think there's there's always a chance that you can evolve into, into that. But I do think that in most cases, I think that's the exception, not the rule. I think in most cases, you are that guy coming in. Like, it's somewhere in you. And I think if people would go back and kind of Try to figure out. You, you watch Andrew Wiggins at Kansas and my beef with Andrew Wiggins at Kansas. I think he's a really talented player. Let me be, both of these guys are super talented, but at Kansas, my beef with Andrew Wiggins was like, I watched that whole season 
and he'd disappear from time to time. Like, you wouldn't even know that he was on the court. And this is the number one pick in the draft. Like, you saw Zion Williamson, R.J. Barrett come out and just absolutely explode onto the scene. Like, look, here I am. Um, you know, that's a little bit of a killer mentality. I have my questions about Andrew Wiggins. And I think if you go back and you ask Carl Anthony Towns, um, you know, coaches and probably teammates from places he's been, you probably get the same kind of, like, questions about him. And so while, yes, they could grow into that, um, I think the deck is kind of stacked against them in, in terms of whether or not they'll be able to do that. And the one thing that would help, again, in theory, is putting them with a Jimmy Butler. Like a guy who could be abrasive um, because he wants to win. He doesn't care how he approaches it. He doesn't care what your feelings, uh, how, you're, how you feel about the way he approaches it. Like a guy like that can sometimes help teach younger players how to win and what it takes to be a winner. But you, you see that met with a little opposition. Um, and I think that, that kind of speaks to who, who they are, quite frankly. Yeah, if they're willing to be taught. I think that's the big question. If, they, if it's rubbing the wrong way and they don't like his leadership style, which clearly yeah. they haven't, then it's just going to be a disaster. And I think Dan, that's what you're seeing unfold. Danny, like winning – look, people think – when I, so I help coach a high school team down here, right, like in my spare time. And we were having the conversation last night with these kids because we're down in the trenches. It's early in our preseason, and we're like – you know, we're we're really gritting it out and trying to develop the, the foundation of who we're going to be as a team. And I – like, I asked them about winning. How many of you guys have won? How many places have you been, like, before here that have won? And, and not many of them could say that, but my point to them is winning's not easy. It's never been an easy thing. Like, and NBA guys even, you know, they think it's, they think it's easy. Like, we have all this skill training, all these guys make a thousand step backs in between your legs, behind your back. And like, those are highlights that you see on ES, uh, like ESPN and CBS Sports and, and Fox. Like that, those are all, I probably shouldn't have said our competing networks, but like, those are just highlights. Those aren't the things that win games. And not everybody is cut out to do what it takes to win games behind the scenes or when the lights are on. Like, that's dirty, hard work. And a lot of guys now aren't cut out to do it. Yep, there's a guy in the NFL that's been trying to figure it out his entire career, and that's Des Bryant, where he's with the Dallas Cowboys, his career. Uh, you know, very up and down emotionally on the sideline, one of the top receivers in the league about four or five years ago. Uh, you know, he's finding himself without a team, turned down a deal with the Ravens, basically got cut from the Cowboys because it was a salary cap issue. He was making too much money. You know, there was a beef there. It didn't end pretty. You know, he went on his social, uh, you know, social media tirade where he's tweeting out stuff. It just didn't look good for Des Bryant. And I've been wondering, Raja, like, when is he going to get signed? Well, lo and behold, the New Orleans Saints yesterday brought him in, signed him. And I can't understand for the life of me how people think this is a bad move. I think it's a great deal for both sides. I think if you're the Saints, from their perspective, you're getting a, a, a receiver to add to a very thin wide receiver core. It's really Michael Thomas and then it's nobody else. And you get him cheap, you get Des Bryant cheap, and you get Des Bryant motivated because he's ticked off. He wants to show people that he still deserves a longer-term deal. So you get right. him on the short-term deal, and I think it's a perfect fit. I get that you could, you know, there could be a locker room issue, but I wouldn't worry about it because if he is, then you just cut him in a couple weeks. Correct. So that's the only drawback people have is that Des Bryant could be a locker room issue. Like, I, I think... I find it fascinating that like Tony Romo can come out and say Des Bryant's a great locker room dude and Jason Witten can come out and say Des Bryant's a great locker room guy yet everybody and their mother um chooses to believe that he's not like right like if I have his quarterback uh and his 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 tight end coming out and saying that he was a good dude in the locker room why why wouldn't we believe him believe them um but I agree with you Danny and not only are you getting like a motivated Des Bryant um and on a one year deal you're getting a fresh Des Bryant who hasn't 
he hasn't played this year. He hasn't gone through the rigors of like the first however many games in the NFL season. He's not banged up. He's not nicked up. Um, and I think that could be of, of real value. Like I think you can see guys come in if they've been keeping themselves in shape. You've seen the video here of him working out. Like as a pro, sure he's going to have to knock off some rust um, and maybe round into game form just a little bit. But you know, like I know, during the course of a season, you never wind up being 100% after that first game. And you're getting a guy much closer to 100% than probably anything else you have in the NFL right now just because he hasn't played. Remember during Hard Knocks, he went and worked out with the Browns, which I thought would have been a decent signing. But I would have been a little bit worried playing with a rookie quarterback, a coach who's on the rocks, you know, who was on thin ice at the time. I would have been a little bit nervous about Des Bryant. But you're talking about him getting to a place where he's going to have Sean Payton, who's been around, who, you know, is a veteran coach. He's got Drew Brees, veteran quarterback, one of the best that's ever played. Like, he's going to have positive influences and positive structure that he'll be able to fit into. And also, so I think his skill set, because he's tall, he's big, he's similar to Michael Thomas, who, because he's taken so much of the workload, is getting the toughest matchup on the field. And I love the fact from the Saints' perspective that, yes, they're good right now. They just came off an awesome win against the Rams at home, which might put them in the position to have the number one seed in the NFC and home field advantage in the NFC. But what I like is they're not complacent. They're saying, you know what? We just played that Rams team, and we saw what Jared Goff is throwing to on the outside. He just doesn't have one weapon. He's got a couple of them. They're looking around their division saying, look at Matt Ryan and the Atlanta Falcons. He's got Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. He's got multiple weapons to work with. And so the Saints, they're not being content. They're saying, all right, we're in this. We have a sense of urgency. Drew Brees is getting up there. We want to put everybody out there to give us our best chance to win. So from that perspective, I like it. And again, and I think I think Des Bryant has been misunderstood because he is a guy who has had his sideline outbursts. Uh, you know, he's been vocal on the sideline. I don't mind a guy like that in my team. As long as those outbursts come from a place of a competitive nature and he's upset they're not winning. Like, if it's one thing if a, a receiver is complaining about not getting catches, but if he's complaining about, hey, we're better than this, we're underperforming, uh, that type of frustration, I like that. I think that can infuse a lot of energy in a team. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, I, this is always, I, I, we are okay with outbursts. It's all spin and all perspective, right? Like somebody, yep. like Tom Brady outbursts, like he's a competitor, fiery, man, he loves to win, whatever. Des Bryant outbursts and he's a cancer in your locker room. Like I'll forever have a beef with that. Like for whatever reason, like there, you will get a beef out of me for that. But I think it's fascinating that Drew Brees has been able to like be this good this year with one <laughs> daggone receiver. Like it's pretty right. remarkable, no? Like Alvin Kamara is the second leading receiver, um, coming out of the backfield. Like that's absurd. Yeah, and it, which which does speak a lot about a couple things. One, how good Alvin Kamara is as a running back who can also catch out of the backfield. But Drew Brees is, I mean, he's, his, his stats are off the charts this year. He's completing 76% of his passes. Uh, you know, we saw him break all the records. He's got 18 touchdowns, only one interception, and he's stretching the field. It's not like he's dinking and dunking. But I'll say this about Drew Brees, and I think this is one thing where Des Bryant's going to be a really uh, a, a good asset for him. Drew Brees is not afraid to throw not into coverage, but what looks like guys are covered. So if you see a man-to-man matchup and you get a wide receiver running and there's a defensive back who's in his pocket, but he's not looking at you, the quarterback, if he's just running with him, Drew Brees throws more balls to guys when they're, quote, covered and trust them to go up and make a play. And I think that fits perfectly with Des Bryant's style. He's big. He's physical. He's not running past guys. He's not wide open down the field. But Drew Brees, with his accuracy, can put the ball in a position where either Des Bryant can catch it or nobody. And I think in the red zone specifically is we're going to see Des Bryant make an early impact because it's going to be, 
you know, he's not going to be have a full grasp of the playbook early. It's going to take some time for him to get used to the plays. And he probably has about 10 or 15 plays that he'll actually use. We saw Amari Cooper get a touchdown the other night for the Cowboys. Similar situation. They had a specific set of plays designed for him. It'll be the same thing with the Saints. And I think when it's all said and done, I think Dez fits in New Orleans, and I think he contributes there. And I don't think there's any issues with him off the field at all. No, that's cool. I think you touched on it. I mean, look, culturally, there, there are teams that can um, take a, someone like that in, and there are teams that can't afford to do that. And Cleveland was clearly one of those young situations. Like when we were in Cleveland, like as a front office, we felt like we were one of the teams with LeBron and the type of leadership we had there where we could afford to bring in a guy who may have had like a checkered past, you know, but you could afford to bring him in and culturally you were going to be okay. Um, and, and that's one of those situations in, 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 in New Orleans. I agree with you on that. Yep. All right. We got to come back. We got to get Emery Hunt up in here. Nine and one on his picks in the last two weeks. He's Emory. on fire and he's got a bonus FCS pick. You sometimes you got to dig for gold and I think he's found it. <laughs> Emery Hunt coming up next and off the bench. So we are efforting to get our game Emery Hunt up until we get him. Let's do a little Florida State Notre Dame. Oh, there was big news. Big news. Yeah. Notre Dame. And this Ian is good Bo- for Florida State. And yeah. books out. Good for you. Good for yeah. you. Tell me about your bet though. I want to know about this bet with you and Brady. Like, what do we got? What's riding on this? So Brady Quinn, former yeah. Notre Dame quarterback, he was, you know, talking a lot of trash the other day. He was chirping, chirping, like, hey, what's our bet? What's our going to bet going to be? So I was right. like, yeah, we got to have a bet. So it's 17 and a half points is the line. And I think all of a sudden he's AWOL because he's got to be getting <laughs> a little bit nervous now. 17 and a half is a pretty big number. Right. Notre Dame's find himself that three spot in the, uh, in the rankings that they're coming out. But I actually do. So here's the thing with Florida State. I think they, I don't think they're going to win the game, but I actually do like them to cover. Uh, one, because Ian Book is out. And this offense for Notre Dame is completely different with Brandon Wimbush. Like it's just not as effective. We saw that in his first couple games when he couldn't even complete 50% of his passes. So that's a big deal for Notre Dame. It's in South Bend. They'll be able to lean on Florida State a little bit offensively. My concern is Florida State's offense is just a mess. They got a little bit better production out of James Blackman and they switched play callers, which I actually like that Willie Taggart was, you know, open minded and said, Hey, we're going to try everything this year. Let's switch Wait, play callers. They, I'm going to give up the reins. They benched DeAndre, DeAndre Francois. Yeah. So Blackman played a lot more last week. Well, Francois has been getting banged up, but yeah. I think it's a combination of bench slash let's not get him killed. Okay. You know, like let's have a little bit of, uh, you know, let's have mercy on him out there and let him, right. let somebody else, uh, play some. Uh, so I think, did you, so I used to have, I used to make a lot of money during the NFL when I was playing just from Florida State games because sure. it was an unwritten rule that anytime your alma mater played against somebody else's alma mater, it was a hundred bucks, done deal. So if like Florida State would be playing Wake Forest, that was almost no. not fair. Listen. So I'd find the player on our team that played at Wake Forest, like, hey, you know, pay up, time to give me that money. And they'd yeah. go, all right, here you go. Did you guys have the same deal? Yes, except I, I mean, everyone knew that I was no a Miami fan. It was, it wasn't FIU thing. Everyone knows that I'm a Miami fan who knew me when I played. So I'd always get the Miami bet versus everybody else's alma mater. Uh, but we didn't bet with the spread. Like that was a, you bet that straight up. That was a win game. There was no spread. So like I'm not giving you 17 and a half points against the Hurricanes, bro. This is straight up and you'll take your lumps. You'll get a lot of wins, but when your team is lean, you got to take your lumps. Time has changed a little bit. So I think it'll be an interesting spot for Notre Dame. I also think was an interesting game is Clemson playing against Boston College. And I know people are probably thinking, well, that's not, you know, no way. I think Clemson's like a 20 point favorite in that game. So yes, they're heavily favored. BC has always been a place where teams around the country, not only ACC, 
But teams in the country go to BC, and it's so different because it's not your typical college atmosphere. Right. It's a yeah. little bit cooler. It'll be a little bit colder than Clemson is used to. Yep. It's not crazy loud. It's almost sort of – and I know they're going to do game day there, so they'll have some effect of crowd. But it's just a different type of environment. It's not as big. And Steve Adazio always has a physical team. So Clemson better be ready to get you know punched in the face, to get hit in the mouth, and be ready to go – or else they're going to find themselves getting upset. And this is the time of season when it's really hard to look around and say, yep, Clemson's going to lose to BC, or Florida State is going to beat Notre Dame. They're always at this point, last three weeks of the season, there are shocking upsets that you never see happen. And that's kind of the only thing compelling when I look around the remainder of the college football season. These teams that are at the top of the rankings, they've got to have those types of wins, or we'll see chalk win out. And I don't think we'll see that. It just historically doesn't happen. All right, well, let's find out. Let's get an expert to tell us about it because we got Emery on the line. Emery, what's up, brother? Oh, there he is. What's going on, guys? Good. What's hey, up, man. Emery? Good, right, bro. You... Good to see you. We got... Go ahead. Go... No, he was... I was just going to give his record. He's 4-1 last week. You touched on it. Past two weeks, 9-1. and one. He's crushing it right now. Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, he's got the hot hand. So let's start it off. Illinois at Nebraska. Nebraska has been getting better. They challenged Ohio State last week. So all of a sudden... You've got a team with two wins. They're 17-point favorites playing at home against Illinois. Who do you like in this one? I like Illinois. Take Illinois in the points in this one. I know a lot of people are looking at Nebraska and seeing that they competed well against Ohio State. I think they played up for that ball game. This is a bit of a game that's going to be right along lines of where they are as a program right now. So I think you're going to see a close competitive contest. So I would say take the Illini in the points. All right, Danny just kind of teased this one. You've got Clemson on the road at Boston College. Um, they're laying 20 points. Like Clemson is averaging beating its ACC opponents by 39. Um, sneaky good team in a sneaky tough atmosphere. Can they cover again on the road against BC? I, I don't know, man. I think when you look at Boston College, they're going to try to the old buck ball approach. They're going to take the air out of the ball, shrink the ball game, and they may lose this ball game, but it won't be by 20 points. I would say take Boston College and the points. I love their offensive line. I love the fact that they are who they are, and they don't bend that for anybody or break that for anybody. They're going to run the football and slow this ball game down and not lose by 20 points. Yeah, I think this will be a good one. It'll be a good test for Clemson, too, to find out exactly where they are. I've been pumping up Clemson, saying they're just as good as Bama. I would tend to agree with you, though, Emory. I think this could be a tighter ball game. A.J. Dillon, a lot of run game for B.C. All right, let's look at Princeton at Yale. We're going to go uh, Princeton at Yale. Big Ivy League matchup. And this is what I love about you, because you dig deep for gold. Like, we're looking for those matchups where you got the edge. Princeton's a 14.5-point favorite on the road. Who do you like? I like Princeton in this game. Last week they played Dartmouth, which was the other undefeated team in the Ivy League. Now, Princeton has been averaging over 50 points a game. Three NFL prospects are on the Princeton Tigers. Their quarterback, John Lovett, who's like Dak Prescott. Two outstanding receivers in Steven Carlson and uh, Jesper Horsett, who's a senior bowl guy. He just committed to the NFLPA game, but I'm pretty sure he's going to end up in Mobile. So they have a ton of offense, and Yale is now playing with their backup quarterback. So I think this one will get right back on schedule. Later points with Princeton. Let's get to another good, uh, another good pick here. You deep dive for an FCS game. I know you cover a lot of those. You've got Alabama A&M Lane 2 at Grambling. Now this guy is two years down the line, but remember the name Akil Glass, the quarterback, 6'5", 225, can throw it all over the field. Alabama A&M is a year away from being where they want to be, which is in the Celebration Bowl. Grambling is taking a step back this season. 
I can see Alabama a and with their new coaching staff, Connell Maynard, and their offense, according to Brian Jenkins, having a lot of success against this Grambling team. So later points with Alabama a and I love it. I love getting FCS picks on here. Give them a little love. We're also getting a little knowledge. I'm writing down these names, too, to try to see what the – I'm, I'm the typing it in right doing. now. <laughs> exactly. I want to keep an eye on these dudes. All right, let's move it over to the NFL, which is a little bit harder to pick. So the Saints are a five-and-a-half-point favorite on the road in Cincinnati. They bring in Des Bryant to boost up that offense. Uh, uh, Cincinnati's without A.J. Green – how do you think this one could shake out when it's all said and done? Just because you said they're without A.J. Green is the biggest reason why you should lay the points with the Saints. They just added Des Bryant, which is another version of Mike Thomas. I think this offense will get a lot of swings at bat against that defense because they're going to be shorthanded without A.J. Green, which makes them easier to defend. All right, last one, Emory. Redskins at Bucks. Bucks minus three. Oh man, I like the Redskins straight up in this ball game. Defensively, they're going to do a great job of, of really taking the ball away. And I think when you look at Tampa Bay, yes, they can throw the football. Yes, they have great options. And under the Redskins just lost three starters to injury for the season, but they still have enough defense within the front seven to cause a lot of problems for that Bucks protection. So take the Redskins and the points in this one. All right, good stuff, Emery. You can follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan uh, on Twitter.com. Make sure you check him out. Good stuff. 9-1, he's on fire. Keep it going. Coming up next, we'll get Will Brinson in here. We're going to break down Le'Veon Bell's tweets. Everybody better get turned upside down so you can read them. It's coming up next, off the bench. All right, welcome back off the bench. Le'Veon Bell continues to make the news without actually stepping on a football field yet. As he tweeted out yesterday, last night, and if you're struggling to read it, we do not have a graphical problem on our show. He tweeted upside down, uh, which I don't even know how you do that. I don't know if there's an app or if there's some like secret keyboard that I don't know about because I'm not cool enough. But it said, just about everybody has an opinion on my life and worried about what I'm doing. Don't judge me off my decision because maybe this isn't what you do. But most people don't take the time to simply read between the lines, and that's clearly on them. I'm not going to apologize for what I believe is right for myself, family, and the rest of my peers, period. Also, if you're really finding the time to figure out what I'm saying, you've proved my point. So he comes back with that at the end because he's probably laughing as everybody's trying to turn their phones upside down, their computers upside down, everything else. So... To help us break this down, somebody who's fantastic on Twitter is Will Brinson, our very own CBS Sports senior writer, at Will Brinson on Twitter, host of Pick 6 Podcast, all these things. Will, have you figured out how to type upside down? Because I still can't do it. No, I'm all, Danny, I'm old, I'm old and washed. I don't know how to type upside down. And my wife walked into the living room last night, and I've got my laptop upside down. And I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing, you crazy old man? I was like, I'm trying to read Le'Veon Bell's tweets. She's like, that's it. <laughs> You're going to work at or something like that. This is out of control. I, I don't, I don't get what Le'Veon Bell is doing. And I think we've reached the point now where even though he's probably returning to the Steelers, maybe today, maybe uh, before Tuesday, and if he wants to uh, ensure they don't tag him again, um, the Steelers don't, I don't know, they want him back. I mean, they're playing tonight. James Conner's rolling. This team's 5-2-1. They're starting to really find a rhythm. I don't think they want him there. I think that he's, basically creating a distraction. If you look at the numbers here, I mean, James Conner at, at like a, a 15th of the price is producing just as much, if not more, than Le'Veon Bell. And you can make the case that the Steelers would be better off just letting Bell go. But I think at this point, it's too personal. They can't just let him walk for no compensation. 
So what do you think happens? Like, do you, cause I do think Le'Veon, he does want to get paid. He wants to make sure he kind of starts his games and gets his last several games paycheck. I agree with you. I don't think they want him there, but what happens when he shows up and says, Hey guys, I'm ready to go to work. Like, do they, do you think they actually cut him? Will they try to give him a blow, you know, give James Conner a little bit of a rest? Cause I think you are a hundred percent right. I think this is a distraction and a team that's leading the division right now. I think it's a bad thing, but I do think it's tricky because I think some guys in that locker room probably like Le'Veon Bell, but that doesn't mean it's best for the team. Yeah, it is tricky. Here's the thing. James Conner's been great, but he is a running back. He is susceptible to a major injury. And the Steelers know as well as anybody that if they lose one of their key players, whether it's Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell, I mean, that's really what's cost them in the playoffs the last few years is those guys getting hurt or, or the defense not showing up against Jacksonville. But I think what they'd like to do is bring Le'Veon Bell comes in in the next five days, whatever it is, signs his tender. They put him on the exempt list for the next two weeks, let him get into football shape, figure out what's going on with him, negotiate maybe, uh, I'll guess, 60% of the 855 per week that he's supposed to get, give him that for two weeks, and then start to work him into the game plan. And by, you know, with those two weeks get past, he's in the building, I think things will simmer down, he'll get along with the teammates. And then what you can do for the final you know, I mean, what are, what are we talking here? Final, uh, you know, four or five weeks of the regular season. And then hopefully for the Steelers sake, four, you know, three or four games in the playoffs, you run him into the ground and you, you, you pile up some carries on his body. You let him showcase himself for free agency and you give James Conner a breather and keep him fresh, not just for the playoffs, but for next year. They have to have that running back who can catch passes and dominate out of the backfield if they want to make a Super Bowl run. And you look at these games. This is this is the meat and the, the meat and the potatoes of the schedule here. The Chargers, the Patriots, the Saints. I mean, those are three. They might see the Saints in the Super Bowl if they make that run, and they might need to go through the Chargers in New England if they want to host the AFC Championship. Well, they got a big game tonight, though. Let's talk about the Panthers and the Steelers. Uh, you know, Panthers are on the road. Cam Newton's been playing great. He's probably having his best performance since, you know, his MVP season. Um, why, why such, such offensive production out of Cam and, and the, uh, and the Panthers offense this year? Norv Turner has done exactly what he promised, and it's, it's mind-blowing that he was able to pull this off. He said before the season that he was going to turn Cam Newton, a career sub-60% completion guy, into a high-60s guy. I mean, look at that. Look at those numbers. 53.6% in an MVP season. He comes back now, and he's completing 67.3% of his passes. And basically what he's done, guys, Norv Turner, that is, is he's taken these uh, hybrid weapons, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Christian McCaffrey, and he's placed them in and around the line of scrimmage and allowed Cam to have easy reads, easily defined reads, easy throws, high percentage throws, and then these guys pick up yards after the catch. He's using a ton of misdirection. Um, you know, he's, he's the, the Panthers have uh, lead the league in rushing yards by wide receivers, right? I mean, they're 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 just multiple and versatile all, all over the place. And the the sneaky trickle down effect of this that you know, that people aren't talking about enough is Cam's also got the lowest sack percentage of his career and the lowest interception percentage of his career. He's become more efficient. He's not taking shots. And people worry about him getting hurt. He didn't get hurt when he runs the ball. He runs people over when he runs the ball. He gets hurt when he stands in the pocket and pats the ball and waits and waits for something to develop downfield and then takes a sack. And he's not doing that this year. He's not throwing picks. And the Panthers are an efficient, dangerous offensive machine that, that people are having difficulty guarding. So since they came back from 17 against Philly, and that was a big moment for Cam Newton, made a bunch of big throws, 
it, people are starting to notice a little bit. But when you talk about the NFC, it's Rams, Saints, and it's everybody else. And there's this little kind of tier underneath them where you've got the Panthers, where you've got the Vikings, where you've got some other teams that are kind of pushing up there. Do you think they're closer to the tier of the Rams and the Saints, or do you think they're closer to the rest of the NFC? Like, as I'm, basically what I'm trying to ask you, like, do you think they're a legit contender to win the NFC? Yeah, yeah, for sure. They can definitely win the NFC. They're that good. Like, Cam Newton, I think people are underrating just, like, how hot Cam Newton can get over a certain stretch of games. And I think he's the type of quarterback who, if you get in the playoffs, he can just elevate his game. We've seen that since he's, you know, since he's been in college. Now, having said that, I'll take the Rams and the Saints currently over the Panthers. I, I do think there is an interesting transition when you compare the Panthers and the Rams because the Rams' defense is getting worse. And the Rams have played a lot of road games, but Marcus Peters is having a lot of trouble covering on the back end. You saw that blown coverage on Michael Thomas. That's happening every week. Uh, they don't have an edge rusher. They had to go out and trade for Dante Fowler. And as good as Aaron Donald is, you know, teams are able to scheme up a little bit in terms of offense getting away from him. I think the Panthers' defense can actually get better. And I think the Panthers can make some noise in terms of, in terms of, you know, being in that, that, that same field. I like the Panthers value better than the Saints or the Chiefs and the, or the Rams in terms of their Super Bowl odds. Um, but I would still put the Panthers a little bit below the Saints and, Saints and Rams. And I think the Vikings may be a little bit above the Panthers. That people are sleeping on the Vikings. That defense is coming to play after the bye. Oh, dude, don't tell me you're a Vikings. Oh, I can't, can we get, anyway, let, let's talk <laughs> about right. the game tonight. Kirk how Cousins, you think, give him some love. How you think, how does, how does tonight play out, man? Panthers or Steelers? What do you got, Will? I got the Steelers winning and covering, um, the, you know, it's, it's a couple of factors. One, I think the, the line is a little bit shorter than it should be. Um, the Panthers are not as good away from, from Charlotte as, as they are at home. The Steelers are much better at home. Ben Roethlisberger plays great. Uh, in the comforts of Heinz Field. Uh, this is going to be a raucous crowd. And if you look at it, guys, this year, I mean, Thursday night home teams, Nick freaking Mullins, MVP Mullins is covering and, and covering big. The, I think the only team in the last, like, six weeks that hasn't covered at home has been the Giants against the Eagles. These home teams on Thursday nights with, with a short amount of rest, uh, you don't have to travel. They've just been better in their covering, and I think the Steelers end up winning this game by about seven points. But I, I really like the over in, in this spot because neither team's defense is playing exceptional football, and both teams' offenses are. Well, we've seen some unbelievable point spreads this year. Heavy, heavy favorites. Uh, the game that kind of rings back for me is when the Bills, I think they were 14-point uh, underdog against the Vikings on the road. They actually won that game. You had Aaron Rodgers facing his biggest point spread as an under, underdog earlier when he had the Rams. He covered that one. Now you've got the Chiefs, and the Chiefs start as a 17-and-a-half-point favorite against the Arizona Cardinals. It's down to 16-and-a-half. Like, when I see these spreads in the NFL, I always, my mindset is there's too much parity in the league. Teams are really good, but they're not that much better. What do you do with a line like this one where they're a 16.5-point favorite? Yeah, I mean, I'm taking the dog in all of these games except for the, the Raiders. Cause just because I think the Raiders have, they, they are, they've laid down in a dog bed and they're going to, they're taking a nap, a third nap for the rest of the season. <laughs> just can't take, I just can't take the Raiders. Um, I th- here's the here's the issue. Last week, as everybody knows, and I wrote about this, and it's been written about all over the place. But the sports books, poor poor broken down sports books, took a beating. You know, they got they got banged around by by, by Pete Public, as I like to call him. And, and uh, that's a Prisco joke, by the way. And I think that what you see is an overreaction here. 
like those lines typically would be Chiefs minus maybe 14 and a half or, or 13 and a half. Um, you know, you'd have the Packers minus six and a half at home against, against the Dolphins. And so the, the sports books have inflated these lines a little bit to catch the public. And so I think you're right. I mean, the move is to take the underdog here and you, you're going to, you have to grin, you know, grin and bear it. I mean, if you want to take the Browns plus four, at home against the Falcons. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but I think they're going to cover. Just have to hope they keep it close. And then the other thing, too, with some of these games, guys, like the Rams and the Chiefs, to me, are in a look-ahead spot. And I know that pro football players aren't, you know, worrying about, you know, one week at a time, et cetera, et cetera. But they are playing next week on Monday night in Mexico City. And I think that the Chiefs would like to go, you know, play the Cardinals at home, win a game by 10 points and get out of Dodge and not have to worry about, you know, uh, blowing somebody out. They want to stay healthy and get ready for next week. So I think there's a little bit of that playing in here. I like the dogs in most of these spots. All right, guys. So earlier this week, we talked about the comeback of Floyd Mayweather and his fight on New Year's Eve in Japan. Well, yesterday he announced that he shut it down. It is not happening after all. Mayweather held a news conference in Tokyo about the fight, and he claimed that he was misled by fight promoters. He even took to Instagram about it, stating that his team was completely derailed and that he had agreed to an exhibition, not an official fight. He basically wrote a novel in the caption here. As you can see, he apologized to fans. He explained that he was blindsided. So, Danny, Raja, are you guys at all relieved that this isn't happening? now um yeah i'm relieved because i don't want floyd to turn into an a, like a complete sideshow like the conor mcgregor thing like i i understand you got paid a whole lot of money and and like that's business right but i don't want i don't want he used too good of a fighter with too good of a record for this to become a complete like sideshow of just chasing dollars at this point hold on a second though raja this was a sideshow because floyd did sit up there and was talking about the match like it was gonna happen he can't say he was misled like there you could say hey it came down to the money or it came down to something else but he talked about the match specifically said i don't know what we're gonna do we're gonna determine whether we're gonna be boxing or or uh is it gonna be mma like for him to say oh i was completely misled he was down with the fight during the press conference and i think a lot of it has to do with floyd like, like he's famous. He's been a part of the conversation. He's been out of the limelight for a little while. I think it's a little bit of, hey, look at me. I'm back. I'm still here. And then he was like, uh oh, I don't, I don't want to do this fight. So he kind of, I think he's toying with all of us, which I mean, I don't have a problem with it, but I think that's what he did. Well, for whatever reason, like I, I'm just glad it didn't happen. Like I agree <laughs> with you. I'm just glad it didn't happen because I don't need I any more spectacle. See, I would love to see him in a, in a fight, an MMA fight. Because he can't run away. Like, you can't play defense. Or you just go on the ground and put your heads over your head. Like, I want to see him actually fight somebody as opposed to this defensive mastermind. He's a boxer, dude. Like, he, he can't, yeah, he, yeah. he can't get an MMA. He, he boxes. Okay, moving away. on to something that we all, go, that we're going all in on. Oh my gosh, I can't even talk. Miami Heat, they're going all in on their vice campaign this season. Last year, the team rolled out their new jerseys for the city edition uniforms. And Danny, remember, you were calling those the Miami sub jerseys. <laughs> yep. But this they season, are. no, they're not. They're taking it to another <laughs> level after unveiling the new black vice knights unis. The team yes. unveiled a new court to go along with this fresh 305 look. You can see Hassan Whiteside wearing that uniform there. There is a look at the court. Mm. But you guys, that is not all that they did. They also added a license plate to the swag. Any Florida driver has the ability to trade it in from their current standard one. So guys, don't get me wrong. I'm a big fan of this look. I like this black look way better than the white one from last year. But aren't they doing the most here? They're doing a lot. They're doing a lot. You know why? Because I have looked forever. There's only one. There are two black license plates in the state of Florida. Raja, do you know who they are? You might maybe uh, central, central Florida, 
UCF. Um, and there's an NFL team. Yeah, uh, the Bucks. The Tampa Bay Bucks. The yeah. Bucks. So I can't do either one of those because I didn't play for either. I'm not a fan of either, even though I do pump at UCF. Florida State fans would disown me, and rightfully so, if I did that. But I've been looking for a black-themed license plate to go with a black car. Like, it bothered me there's a white license plate in the back. I want to go totally murdered out, like all black. Yeah, so I might be one of the first people to sign up Uh-oh. for the license plate. Just but put I a do nice, think put a like, cover over that plate, man. Put like a smoky cover over it. <laughs> yeah, but then that invites cops to pull you over. That's why I don't like doing that one. But I think what they need is they need like a little Coke in the curly Q fries that Miami <laughs> Subs has. Like those need to be on the court somewhere. I'm, as part I'm of the usually logo, the Miami I'm not Subs a seasoned logo. fry guy, but those Miami Sub fries were not bad. See? Guys, they, they were need. not bad. I guys, shut it down. Shut it down with the Miami Sub Talk. That is all for Socially Relevant. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Canel and Bell. Coming up next, Danny and Raja preview tonight's matchup with the Panthers and the Steelers. Come on back without the bench. Uh, all right, welcome back. Uh, Let's finish off some leftovers. So there are details announced. And for me, I was all in on the Des Bryant signing with the New Orleans Saints mm-hmm. without even knowing the details. So now it has been released. He has a one-year deal that the New Orleans Saints will pay him $600,000 on base salary for the rest of the season. So his base salary is $1.2 million because he's a vested veteran. But because he's not playing the entire season, they prorated over the course of the season. So only $600,000. Uh, he can make, and there's also another thing in there, incentives for 500000 in incentives. So if he goes out there and balls and reaches whatever those incentives are, yeah, like this is a no-brainer. I don't understand how anybody could say this is a bad deal. He's going to make a million dollars, like max, million, $1.1 million max? Yep. Yeah, dude, well, how can you lose on that? Like, really, how it's, do you lose? You yeah. cut him if, if it doesn't work out, and he's going to be the best version of himself. You already have, like, Sean Payton in place, and you got Drew Brees in place. They're already they're at the top of the league. It's not like a bad team where he can go in there and, and act like a baby if he were so inclined to do so. Those are Des Bryant haters, bro. Be real. Don't I don't roll that up in nothing else. Just say you don't like Des Bryant. Right, and there are a lot of Des Bryant haters. Like, I, you know, I, I get it. I yeah. cannot wait for November 29th on the road in Dallas. I want to see him do a T.O. and go to the – and we just saw it this past weekend. I want to see him go to the star, put his arms out, and look – I want to see him score a touchdown and go on the star and just stand there and look at Jerry Jones and fight him and point at him up in the But they're box. boys, though, right? Aren't him and Jerry yeah. are supposed to be boys. Yeah, I mean, they were at Beyonce and Jay-Z not too long ago, so I guess yeah. they're hanging out. I'd Jerry's like, like 80 years too. old hanging at Beyonce and Jay-Z. I don't know what that's all about. He does but, the most. He does anyway. the most. Hannah was asking yeah. about, like, the Heat doing the most. He does the most. Yes, he does. Jerry yeah. Jones does the most, without question. Uh Some NBA news to finish off with. So the NBA last year, remember they did the All-Star game where they picked yeah. it? It was like playground style. And I think you and I both talked about that it would have been better if – we knew who they picked and like they televised it. Well, yeah. guess what? They actually paid attention to us. More people are watching off the bench, clearly, because they've taken our <laughs> advice. So the NBA and the Players Association, they've agreed to televise this draft where the two captains will select their squads for the 2019 All-Star Game in Charlotte. Uh, it's a firm date has not been established, but it'll be around January 30th or 31st. I think this is exactly what makes the NBA good. I think they listen. I think they realize an opportunity. But what I'm really curious about is to see what impact this has on guys' egos. Because it is a, I mean, professional athletes have egos. You don't want to be the guy who's down there, you know, waiting around like, hey, when am I going to get picked? Because it does put guys in awkward spots. It's a and really, I think it puts the captains in an op- awkward spot. It's a really weird spot, right? You are an all-star. So you are one of the top, what is it, like 20 dudes in the NBA? I don't know how many people are on an all-star team, right? 10 and 10 maybe. Like, So you're one of the top 20 dudes. But you're the last pick 
of those top 20 dudes, would that, like, would that feel bad to you? Like, I, w- I wouldn't care, but like, if you were an all-star, you may care. It's going to be interesting for real. I think it'll also change what some guys would pick behind closed doors. I, cause I think some, really, like, I could, I do. Like, I think some guys would be more willing to go with, like their gut and go with really the guys they want to play with. And then like, could you imagine if you're passing on Steph Curry for a couple picks, like you're going to get hammered from a lot of fans. Uh, <laughs> which I think some guys might do. And I think that they'd be more likely because they're on camera to say, Oh yeah, I've got to take Steph in the top three. Like, do you think there's a player out there that will drop that everybody will just be shocked? Like, I can't believe that guy's still not taken. Yeah, probably. But I think some of that I might have to do also with like whether you love a guy or you don't. Like, you know what I mean? Like personality. Right. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the captain and you don't really love LeBron. Like you had a little beef with LeBron. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, but I do agree with you. The NBA gets these things right. Like they, any opportunity to be on the forefront of, of like fan interaction and, 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 uh, and the like, they're going to be in on it. And so I, I continue to applaud them for, for that kind of stuff. They got it right again. So if Kawhi Leonard is captain, who is he picking first? If Kawhi Leonard is captain with, 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 well, he's not picking Kyle Lowry first. So like you're talking <laughs> about situations like that. Like, no, real talk, cause Kyle will probably be an all-star, but I don't know if Kawhi would pick, like, you know, Kyle Lowry first. I, I'd probably take any, a number of point guards before Kyle. Like those type of situations could be interesting, like playing out in front of the whole world. Yeah, it can get really awkward in the locker room pretty fast. And lo- and these guys, like, they're boys. Like, they hang out all the time. It can just get awkward. I think it'll be fascinating. They also need to have – maybe have it at a bar. Like, you know how golf, they do pro-ams and they have pairings party where you get to find out who your group is? That would be uh, extremely entertaining television if they had that situation. Either way, I think it'll be good because they'll be talking. And I hope that the two captains are kind of needling each other, like daring them to take somebody so that they can maybe have their guy that they can get. Uh, so that'll be fun to watch, January 30th or 31st. Tonight we have NFL football, Panthers at Steelers. I think Cam Newton is, and we talked about it with Will Brinson, he's obviously having his career year since the uh, MVP season, but I think his numbers and the fact that he's not being mentioned in the MVP speak volumes about how far the NFL has come in just a short window with the offensive firepower and the offensive production. Because, you know, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions, you're not even like you're halfway to what Patrick Mahomes is doing, which, and it's not, it shouldn't be a knock on Cam Newton. It's just the league has changed so much so fast. And I think it's good. I don't want to talk football anymore. Let's talk about these Pumas, Boogie Cousins. I'm All on footlocker.com right. right now. Are you in for Puma basketball or no? Uh, I'd have to check them out a little bit closer. I love the Puma old style, like the Clydes yep. and like they actually have some golf shoes that they make that are pretty sweet. But I'll have to look at the basketball ones because I'm a, I when I because I don't wear basketball shoes just to kick it. I don't know. I think I look like no, an old yeah, they man. don't look great with like jeans and stuff like that. No, so I don't do that anymore. So I'd have to really like look at them, see like are they functional? Are they light? Because some of these some of these basketball shoes are too heavy. They look light, but they're clunky. You know what I'm they saying? Got a level of clunk to them that I'm not sure that that I would want for my kids because I got these little tiny legs. But I think I'm in. I'm gonna go get them a pair today.